0: Mokey, Carol, was wonderful. Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare to read your word this morning, we ask that you bless the reading and the hearing of it. We ask that the words that were written so long ago will uh, speak truth to us this morning, that they will reveal your truth to us. Lord, we ask that you prepare our hearts, that you open wide the windows of our souls so that your light can come in. Clear away any distractions that would compete for our attention during this time and help us to focus solely on your Holy Spirit and how it leads us during this time. Please bless this time that we have in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Throughout this Advent season, we've been talking about the, uh, the Frank Capra classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. What we've been doing is each week we take a character from that, that movie, and we look at that character, and, and we say, are there any lessons that this character can, can teach us in, in our life today, uh, in the world today? And we found that some of these lessons are, are especially relevant for us here during the holiday season, <laughs> they 're really relevant for us uh, throughout the year now one of the challenges with doing something like that is, is being able to tie it into the themes of Advent where we hope we wait uh, on on the the return of Christ we, we talk about waiting for Christ but yet knowing that he is still with us, even as we wait and This week, if you were listening when we lit the uh, the Advent candles, the theme is joy. each candle represents something there's peace. Uh, Uh, love, hope, and joy. And joy is right here on the third week, and if you notice, the candle is pink. Some of you have asked me why that is, why one of the candles is pink. And it's because, really, the reflection on joy is a break from everything else. Advent season is a time of longing, it's a time of expectation, it's a time of hope and praying. But then, in the midst of all of that, we pause and we reflect on our present joy. Because even as we await the return of Christ, and even as during this season we await Christmas morning, we still know that even right now, Emmanuel, God is with us. He is with us right now, and that is cause for our present joy. And here in the midst of the Advent season, we reflect on that. So in talking about joy... And then concerning the, the movie, which I, I hope y'all have seen by now, um, this week we are going to talk about George Bailey, the main character, the protagonist of the movie. And the reason I, I say I hope that you've seen it by now is because you can't talk about George Bailey without giving away a lot of the plot. So uh, to, this morning, um, there's, there's going to be a lot of spoilers. That's, that's really all I can say about that. But George, George Bailey was, was the main character of the movie, and the one thing about him throughout the film is he was always helping others, even as a child. As we talked about last week, he saved his brother Harry from drowning when he was just a, a small child. And then uh, he, also as a child he goes and he works for the, the druggist, the pharmacist, uh, Mr. Gower. And he sees that Mr. Gower is mourning the loss of his own son. And in his grief, he's, he's been drinking and, and he's mixing the pills together for a customer and unknowingly has put poison into some of the capsules. And so George notices this and decides not to deliver the pills, saving somebody's life and also saving Mr. Gower's uh, career in the process. So even as a child, George was doing things to help people. And then he grows up, and he has these dreams and these aspirations. He wants to travel the world. He wants to go off to college, and uh, and he really wants to get out of Bedford Falls. He's, he's, he's tired of living there in that town, and he just wants to break free from it. But he never can, because he ends up inheriting his father's business, the savings and loan, and uh, or the building and loan, and... Um, and, and in doing so, he, he feels obligated to help out these working-class families who have crawled to Mr. Potter, uh, the banker in town, and, and can't survive on his demands and on his terms. So he comes to the Bailey brothers, the Bailey building and loan, and, uh, and George helps them out. So throughout his life, throughout the film, he is doing something constantly to help people. But then despite all of this, despite all of his efforts... He ends up in the red, he ends up disappointed, he ends up ashamed of the way his life has gone, and he decides that he wants to end it all. He he wants to to take away the the most precious gift of all, and that is the life that we each are given. So if George spent his life doing good and helping people, and doing the things that we we imagine God would want us to do with our lives, why was he so unhappy? This, this is a problem. and we, we have, It's a problem we have to think about in our own lives because we, we preach so often in the church that we need to do things to help other people. We need to show the love of Christ to other people. We need to be the hands and the feet of Christ. We need to be the body of Christ. We need to let people see Christ through us. And we, and we offer our uh, gifts. We offer our assistance. We offer our prayers and our support for people. But yet it's possible in the midst of all of that to be unhappy. It's very possible to not have any joy even in the midst of our love and our charity. And that's what was wrong with George Bailey. He was doing all of these good deeds. He was helping all of these people. But in the midst of it all, he did not have joy. And that's why he decided to end his life. If we look at the scripture that we just read today... Coming from the first four verses of Hebrews, I really want to hone in, especially on on verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now if we break this down piece by piece, the first part is we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, we, in the midst of the holiday season, the rush, all the plans, the gifts, the travel, all of this stuff, the, the social events, we struggle to to keep Christ in Christmas. And, and that's sort of a recurring theme in the church year after year. We always say, keep Christ in, in Christmas. Remember the reason for the season. But I think even in that, sometimes we forget that Christianity was the, the beginning event uh, our, our Christmas was the beginning event of Christianity. Jesus Christ was the founder of our faith. As Christians, as, uh, we, we come to church, we worship, we do all these name, things in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how we identify ourselves as Christians. But, but all of that begins with Christmas, with Christ coming to earth. And then we, we regard him as the founder of our faith, but also the perfecter of our faith. And if you ever want to trump somebody, that's the trump card right there, is, is Well, would Jesus do it? Would Jesus say it? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? If you are ever unsure about how you should behave as a Christian or how, how you should uh, live your life in a Christ-like manner, all you have to do is look at Jesus because he was the perfecter of the faith that we claim. He is the one that we follow in this thing called Christianity. Jesus was the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And as the perfecter, as that perfect example that we follow, what did he do? He went and suffered on the cross. But that wasn't it. He didn't just suffer. He didn't just endure the cross. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He suffered the cross for joy. Sacrifice and joy... For Jesus went hand in hand, that may sound strange to some of us. that may sound uh, uh, strange, something we have to wrestle with. How do sacrifice and joy correlate? But Jesus gave himself joyfully because he knew that it would lead to our joy. In fact, uh, on the night before he gave himself up on the cross as he was talking to his disciples in the Gospel of John, we see that he says, "All of this I tell you, so that your joy, so that my joy." May become your joy, and your joy may be complete. And then a few verses later, he says, Your grief will be turned into joy. He knew that they would be weeping his death, but he also knew that their grief would turn to joy. You see, he went to the cross because he knew it would lead to our joy. And because of that, he was joyful. And he endured the cross with joy, he did it for joy. But not only that, he despised the shame. That's what the verse says, he despised the shame. Now that, that, that word despise can be a little bit tricky because we think of despised as, as hating or resenting something. We I can say he resented the shame or he was ashamed of the shame. Actually, the, uh, the term there and the way it's used, despised of the shame, should, should be like he didn't even think of it. It wasn't even worth regarding. In fact, uh, many translations put this verse, they say he disregarded the shame. For the sake of joy, he endured the cross and disregarded the shame. And there was a lot of shame associated with the cross. It was the most humiliating way to die in that that day and age. It was a, a public humiliation. You were being made an example of, if you hung on the cross, for all of the city to come see. But he disregarded that. It didn't matter to him. The shame did not matter to him compared to the joy that he had and the joy that he knew that all the people who would come to him through the cross would eventually have. He disregarded the shame because of that joy. So that was uh, George Bailey's problem. was He was making sacrifices, he was doing things for people, but he wasn't disregarding the shame. All throughout the film, you see him sort of bemoaning the fact that he didn't get to go off to college. He didn't get to travel. Even as he's falling in love with his wife, Mary, he is, uh, he's resisting it. And then uh, his friend, Sam Wainwright, offers him this, this opportunity to get in on the ground level of, of plastics. And George can't take it because he's, he's working at, at the, the building and loan and later on, Sam Wainwright comes back, and he's successful. And you see George, he's all upset about this, and he kicks his car door. And that's what leads to him eventually deciding that life is not worth living. Because all of the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations he's had, they've never been fulfilled. And he's carrying all that shame with him. He's not disregarding the shame that, he's, that, that he, he took on in order to produce joy for others but then things changed when he went to the bridge that night and decided he was going to jump off he had an encounter with an angel clarence who showed him what what the world would be like had george bailey never been born george got to see firsthand how his life impacted so many people He got to see how the whole town of Bedford Bedford Falls was a better place because of his life. He got to see all the working class, the people who had come to depend on him in his life, how much worse off they would have been had he never lived. And when he sees the joy that his life brought others, all of a sudden he is filled with joy and he wants to live again. You see, before this event... Before he had this change of perspective, his life was miserable. But then he discovers that it's a wonderful life. And he only discovers that once he recognizes the joy that he has brought to others. So how does this relate to us? Well, it means that the sacrifices we make for others should always be done with joy in mind. We should always be thinking about how our actions can bring happiness and joy for others. I'm sure some of you have known people in your lives, I certainly have, who do nice things, they do kind things, but then they throw it up to you later. They, they do something kind for you, and then later they remind you or they make you feel guilty that you never did something kind for them. And then when that happens, you just kind of want to say, well, I wish you'd never done the nice thing in the first place. I didn't ask you to do that. But we all know people like that, and we're all probably guilty of doing that at some point in our lives. It's not truly a sacrifice if we're expecting something in return, or we're expecting a reward, or even if we want to be recognized. Uh, Teresa had a saying that she used to say, a sad saint is a sorry saint. In other words, somebody who goes around doing good things, but then acts somber and sad about the fact that they're doing all these good things, Their their passion, their charity is, is useless because all of our deeds should be done with a heart full of joy, knowing that we have within us the capacity to bring joy to others. And at Christmas time, we all have that, that desire to, to do, to sacrifice for others, whether it's giving someone a Christmas gift or making a travel or, or doing a, a works of kindness for the community, whatever it is, we, we, we strive to do things. It's a season for doing things for others, for thinking of others. But all of those sacrifices are in vain if they're not done with joy, knowing that we can also bring joy to others. We can miss out on a lot in life when we're consumed with our own desires, our own hopes and dreams. And all of those things can ultimately lead to disappointment when they're not fulfilled in the way that we want them to be. But I think we all, we all know that. We all recognize that that is true. What we need to really be careful of is losing our joy even in the midst of sacrifice. It's not enough just to surrender yourself for others we must also do it with their joy as being our goal. Because when they have joy, our joy will be made complete. When we live our lives with the intent to bring joy to others, we will find out that our life has a lot of meaning. It has a lot of purpose. That's how Christ lived. That's how Christ died. He had joy because of the joy that he knew countless others would find in his actions. So let us remember in this season and in every season to live our way, our lives the way God intended. Full of joy. Because Emmanuel, God is with us. Joy to the world, for the Lord is come. Please stand with me and join me in singing just that this morning. Our hymn of our invitation is Joy to the World, hymn number 246.